Hey everybody, welcome to the Cinema Nerd Presents, the filmography of Charlie Kaufman. My name is Kyle. I'm here with James to talk about Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. James, you have the most dangerous mind I know. What's this movie all about? Uh, I can't work out if it's a, like, if he felt like he hadn't done enough in his life, so he wrote a better story for his autobiography. Um, or, or if he legitimately had the craziest life I've ever heard of. You know, like... I have a third theory. Cocaine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So this is also a very valid... <laughs> yeah, you can take a lot of these moments of this film and just replace it with a big bag of cocaine and it makes about <laughs> as much sense. You're like, oh, okay. And they don't branch onto drugs at all. You know, they don't really... No, it's very subtle. I, there's a, a couple of moments at the end of the movie that I want to get to, but we'll, we'll circle around, around yeah. to that. Uh, I guess before we do, anything else you've been watching? I can't remember what we talked about last time, but did I talk to you about 12 Angry Men? I don't know if you did. Wait, did you? Okay. I can't remember. I'm sorry. That I, it, it's 12 Angry Men is a spectacular film, by the way. Like the, the, the filming, the writing, the characters, the, the way that people are in the story with, with actual integrity, even, you know, like... <laughs> Like certain people in it are just, you know, like going, I don't know what's right, but I need to, we need to talk properly about this because it's fucking important. And I was like, man, that movie is so good. <laughs> yeah, it's real good. I'm a, a big, big fan of Arthur Miller. Um, yeah. So why did I think Jack Lemon was in this movie? It's, He's not though, is he? Uh, I'm not good at old um, yeah, old no, stars, I have a, but... a real like I guess a false memory of Jack Lemon. Uh, oh, I, did he do it on stage? I think I'm confusing a stage memory with a, a screen wow. memory. Is what's yeah. happening right now? Yeah. Yeah. I, and maybe it's just on my brain because I also watched Grumpy Old Men, Grumpy and Grumpy Old Men for <laughs> no, he did it in the 1997 version. That's what's happening. Uh, Sorry. Okay. Um, okay, Henry Fonda. Henry Fonda's character, um, he does an amazing job. The whole the the way it's shot, so it's so interesting. But it's all in one room, you know. Like um, the camera moves are, are hidden so well. Like you know, they, well they're not hidden, but they're just like naturally walking around the room, like you're just an observer. But it's you know, I, yeah, it's great. Uh, I love that film. I I hadn't seen it in a very long time. I have to say, wow, you know, yeah. cool. Well, good on you, man. Yeah, I don't think we talked about it here. That's cool. Um, I got a couple I can get into. Yeah, sure. Oh, yeah, Leprechaun Seventeen. Yeah, exactly. Actually, in that vein, man, I'm uh, I'm working my way through Hellraiser, and <laughs> I like you. those movies, man. I, I even though they're kind of straight to DVD late 90s ones i think have their place I, I i really enjoy them and i'm on like six now and dennis from 30 rock just showed up so i'm pretty <laughs> excited about what's gonna happen next 
Yeah. Also, speaking of 30 Rock, I finally finished going back through that. And the end of the series, Kenneth the Page gets promoted to president of NBC, which is very fitting. Yeah. But his office has the quilt from every television show in it. Do you know the quilt I'm describing? It's the black mm-hmm. quilt with like colorful squares and like. It's definitely been in every Chuck Lore show that you can think of. I remember it from Roseanne, and it shows up in Scrubs at one point. Like, keep naming sitcoms, it's there, you know? Right. Flight of the Concords, I think uh, Brett has it on his bed. It's the blanket that he actually sleeps with. What? Yeah. So I wanted to bring it up because... I feel like it's one of these artifacts of television that is just everywhere. Like it's in a prop closet on everybody's studio lot or just this one blanket is getting spun around. I'm kind of determined to get to the bottom of it, but I don't have a good answer for you. I mean, no one's talking about it, but I love the idea of this. I love the idea of like a Wilhelm scream, but in quilts. This is what I'm talking about. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. The only other thing I'll bring up real quick is I also have worked my way through the Child's Play series, except for the most recent one. I haven't caught up to it yet because I want to give it a, a proper viewing, and I've, I've been kind of ducking in and out with these movies I've seen I'm, before. I'm very out of loop. Uh, Bride of Chucky, how old is that? That It's older than you think, dude. Bride of Chucky is like 98. <laughs> yeah, That'd be the last Chucky I ever knew of, like... So there have been multiple ones since then? There's been a few since then. After Bride of Chucky was Seed of Chucky, which is the last one in that sort of trajectory. Like Jennifer Tilly is still the doll and they have a son. And this is 2004. Actually, it's worth talking about just for a minute because the second half of the film focuses on whether their you know, evil doll child will be Glenn or Glenda. So it's, oh, and also John Waters is in this one. So if you haven't seen it, definitely, definitely watch it. But it's worth watching even kind of outside of this context, just because it's like, oh, maybe 2004 is a little late to call it early, but I was not expecting to see a a transsexual plot line as the major force of this film. And it's there. And 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 it's not poking fun at it, or is it? It's, it, I mean, it definitely is. It's very polar in that Chucky is taking a real standard, like, um, uh, um, patriarchal yeah. kind of position of like, no, he's going to be a boy. And Jennifer Tilly is, you know, bride of Chucky is taking the position of like, Glenn can be Glenda, who, it's our child. Yeah. They can be whatever they want. This is fine. Who cares? Yeah. He likes to murder, she likes to murder people. That's what's important here. <laughs> <laughs> gotta keep the values you know like yeah so i'm i'm on board for seed of chucky and then it uh goes there's a bit of a break before they pick back up at cult there's maybe one in between but then there's cult of chuck chucky from 2017 there's got oh no there's one from 2013 which is essentially a remake that everybody forgot about and jennifer tilly shows up for the last scene and that's kind of it and you know it's pretty unremarkable 
Yeah. Cult of Chucky is kind of, I like Cult of Chucky. It's a wild movie. It opens with the kid from maybe the first one, but, you know, early on in the franchise has come back and now has like kidnapped Chucky and has him held prisoner and just spends his time torturing Chucky. That's like the <laughs> hobby. Yeah. It's pretty great. And then the, it bends off into a wild, like mental asylum plot. So Chucky's in it a lot at first and then he shows up again at the end. I, I'm saying all this to say that I love Chucky for his like insane kind of yeah. condensed energy. He reminds me of Freddy if it was just like distilling the essence of sassy horror movie villain. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, they, they work because they're, they're camp, you know, like they, yeah. they, they understand what they're making and they make it well. Like they yeah. go, oh, okay, you know, People will be a bit scared when scary bits happen, but they will also laugh when the ridiculous things happen. And it's kind of like a fun ride, you know? Totally. That's, yeah. Yeah. And that's where so many of these horror remakes, I feel like really lose their ways. Like I also just went through the uh, Friday, no, sorry, well, both, but um, the Friday the 13th franchise and the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. And they're sort of modern adaptations are just no fucking fun, man. They're, they're trying to be scary and they're just not as much. And I need some funsies in my horror movies. Otherwise I'm kind of bored, man. Yeah. Cause you get, you get the first jump scare out of the way and then the rest of the film is kind of, okay, I kind of see what they're doing. They're going to gross me out with gore or, you know, like it doesn't, it's very hard to kind of keep you on your toes if there's not like those moments of levity to kind of like sure keep you riding well, around I mean, sort of the if you're not so i've been doing the hellraiser thing which does not have much levity but the gore and the sort of iconography is so impressive and creative and visually stunning that even if i'm having fun because it's sumptuous you know what i mean yeah. like you're really taking sure. it in so it doesn't have to just be like a pithy script to be engaging filmmaking, but if it's relying on your characters just, you know, gurgling help me, um, yeah. yeah. Oh, good. Uh, I should probably watch some more horror films. Yeah. Uh, oh, good. Um, <laughs> should we talk uh, about Confessions of a Dangerous Mind? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I feel like after adaptation, Hollywood was like, oh, hey, Charlie, can you deal with this? Because we got no idea how to handle this. Yeah, I, 100%. I was going to say the same. I think the reason this got dropped in his lap is what is this? Like, right. is it? Because it's like the, the, um, the unauthorized autobiography. So he's written it himself, but he didn't authorize it, you know? <laughs> like, right, right, right. It's, um, it, but it, yeah, it's a bit like he, because I, okay, okay, so George or I think Charlie um, opens the whole film with like a, a, like a metaphorical naked, you know, watching television, revealing himself to the, to the world. And it's kind of like as typing out your story is super revealing. Um, but it, it kind of also in that same moment is telling you uh, 
when you're young, you're brought up to think, um, you know, you're going to be Einstein or you're going to be Picasso. And then you get to around like 30 or 40 and then you realize you're not Einstein and you're not Picasso and you're, you're nothing. <laughs> like, and you've got to come to terms with it. Yeah. And I, I think maybe that's like a little bit of a, he's, he's done a lot in his life, but I think he kind of wanted to do more in his life. So he wrote this story. I, I mean, I don't know. I, if, he, if any of the CIA stuff is true, that's absolutely insane. Because what an amazing cover. You can send someone around the world. <laughs> yeah, I um, I end up in a similar place where that that that's kind of the thesis of this film. But I take a slightly different read on that scenes those those scenes where we keep cutting back to him standing naked in front of the the TV at the end of the day. Right, I think there it's doing a broad thematic thing where like this guy understands television and America in kind of the way that uh, actually um, uh, Richard Kelly was doing with the like uh, American national anthem playing at the end of TV yeah. to give us this pastiche of what American culture is and where we are within it. And the movie really directly states at a few points that he's I don't know what the line is, but it's like, he's got his thumb on the pulse of a nation or, you know, he understands popular television. He gets what people respond to and that's his real superpower. So him being involved in the uh, CIA, sorry, I'm going to draw back to that scene before I spin all the way out. The scenes where he's standing naked are the only shots that are photographed with any real fidelity right? Yeah. It's moody and it's dark, but it, it looks like a real space that an actual human being occupies. And the entire narrative of the film is oversaturated, right? When we're in the past, when we're in Sam Rockwell's going through the actions of being a killer or being a television producer, it's all super high key, so high key that it's like actually yeah. clipping off of the color space, right? And then yeah. when we get to the the talking heads, they're pushed even further that it's like it, barely <laughs> recognizable. You the see real that first in the movie and you're like, wait, did I, what, I'm sorry, is this, do I have this set up right? So yeah. the moments where he is by himself, where he is silent, just staring at the television, and I believe out of his mind on cocaine, are the the truest, like, maybe id expression that's kind of like the the art the i don't even know how to express that thought you know but whatever his art is that's the like connection that draws us to the story and is the actual like tangible thread the real thing that he did which yeah. was create a model of television that we still like it's the masked singer it's the x factor it's you know yeah for sure yeah i'm currently dealing with one at the moment i'm sure you are it's uh yeah it's it's uh please tell me you're working on can you sing now that i've seen you or whatever that fucking show is called yeah. the um it's a I mean, okay, so first of all, we should probably just introduce the film because there's a lot of, <laughs> um, it's got clips from actual people 
related to the story. So it has like Dick Clark talking. It has Gene Gene the Dance Machine interviews. Um, but then the cast is amazing. Like uh, okay. I love Drew Barrymore. Um, obviously, I've said it multiple times. Maggie Gyllenhaal shows up for a little bit in this, and I love she, her. At um, this point, is definitively our most featured actor. Right? She's the superstar of filmography. Maggie Gyllenhaal. Yeah. And um, Sam Rockwell does an amazing job because he's got that, like, I mean, he just really nails that character's, like, smile, gaze. Like, the, you understand what he's thinking when he's smiling or when, yeah. he's, when he's hearing someone else talk and he's not saying anything. You're getting what he's thinking, which is crazy because I, like, yeah, and you can see, yeah, when he realizes something or... Yeah, like he's he's an amazing actor. Like, yeah, there I mean, was a point. I want to circle back to Sam Rockwell and Drew Barrymore, but there was a point, and it was uh, when George Clooney showed up that I realized I said it out loud. I was like Clooney, and he was like the fifth actor that I've been like, oh my god, they're in this movie. Can you believe yeah. that Brad Pitt and Matt Damon show up just for a, a sight gag? Yeah. So. Drew Barrymore and Sam Rockwell are two of the most charismatic people on the planet. Yeah. And watching them do anything, like they're the epitome of, oh, I just watched them read a phone book. Yeah. And yeah. I watched a movie a couple of weeks ago. I talked about it on Made in the 90s briefly. Called, I think it was called Mr. Right with Anna Kendrick. Did I talk to you about this or was it with Dylan? No, 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 yeah. Um, Mr. Andrew Kendrick movie and Sam Rockwell from 2015 and yeah. Sam Rockwell plays kind of a similar character where he's like a hitman who's gone off the range and he's kind of trying to get caught because he's over it right and so when yeah. he meets Anna, Anna Kendrick she's like oh you're weird and he's like yeah sorry about that I just murdered three people in the alley and she's like haha that's funny and then they yeah. go on this you know adventure yeah. Similarly, they're just so dense. The, the common denominator is Sam Rockwell is like the most charming man in Hollywood. Uh, yeah, I mean, so it works. And now, yeah, the Drew Barrymore-Sam Rockwell relation, like the chemistry there is brilliant. Like I just wanted to see them on the stage, uh, on the screen and they were just like laughing and it felt like a sincere, like happy moment. It was cool, man. Totally. It was okay. Yeah. No, really good. Uh, it just one more like small shout out. Was that Paul Dano singing Raindrops on the Gong Show? Paul Dano. Who's Paul Dano? I might not know. You definitely Paul know Dano. Paul Dano. Uh, what's this damn movie called? Confessions of a Dangerous Mind cast? I'm going to do my research beforehand next time. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Oh, well, since we're uh, bringing up some dead air, I can confirm that young Chuck Barris is, in fact, Michael Sarah. Strawberry yeah. is played by everybody's favorite, Bluth. Yeah, and that's like, that's, a, that's an amazing little cameo because he's young there. That's, that's pre-arrested development, right? Totally. Like that. Yeah. Also, speaking of cameos, Richard Kind deserves a shout out. And so does James Urbaniak, who is like a really great kind of just creepy character actor. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, basically just while you're doing that, uh, the story is brilliant to ride along on. I think the middle slows down, but um, 
I kind of enjoy just having some moments to kind of, cause it gets kind of out of hand and it's kind of not like interesting to be stuck in this out of hand moment for a while. Like, you know, when it's in uh, East Germany, <laughs> like, I like the East Germany stuff where I actually check out a little bit is uh, the the big central conflict between Barrymore and Rockwell. And it works because they're so great together. But, and, and you know, the kind of stuff they're talking about where neither of them really back off of their position or who they are. They just sort of acknowledge that they were hurt by this experience is interesting writing. But I'm a little more like, no, no, go back to the part where he has to bring the contestants to the spy show. You know, I just... I love the the fun of the the cinema, and I'll, I'll, I guess I'll take that point to shout out like how talented these filmmakers are, because even very silly gags that shouldn't work really land. Like when he comes back from that, right? And they yeah. the the woman in the studio calls him Hitman, or like <laughs> that's a dumb joke. That's like borderline bad, but because of the the snap of the cinematography, how we've already had so many, like, he doesn't do split dioptras as a director. I'm sorry, is this Spike Jones? No, this is Clooney. Clooney directed this one. Yeah, yeah. Clooney's fucking good, man. So, like, instead yeah. of doing these split diopter things, he's, like, literally bringing actors into the frame as the camera pans by, or, like, will fly out a set wall so that we can see another reveal behind it. I uh, love yeah. all that shit, man. I like um, when he's getting his first job in television as a page, he's on the tour. And then as the tour walks off, he ducks out and goes and asks about a job. And then it kind of seamlessly cuts him into running a new tour past what? the girl that was running the because tour. Because he that ran was. around the camera and put a jacket on. Yeah, that, that takes really awesome directors to conceive of that motion, and it takes really committed actors to actually get that done. Man, that's high level filmmaking. But from that, he walks out um, stage right, and then it zooms in on two girls having a conversation yes. about the ideal man, and then it pans back, and he's now sitting eating lunch, listening, and going, "All right, I need to be management in order to get." Laid, yes. having taken the jacket off again very yeah. simply just camera moves and simple wardrobe incredible filmmaking yeah yeah i loved that i loved that i was i was kind of clapping almost watching that I was like that's brilliant it's like yeah, yeah. totally totally what um, else you got buddy yeah no it's a it's a it's an amazing thing he's not a likable <laughs> like you know he's I like that. That was just where I was going to go. The kind of arc of this dude, I, I think is really interesting. And I think it speaks to Kaufman's strength, right? Like he, as a writer, doesn't know how to feel about this dude or how to portray this thing necessarily, which we get a sense of coming from adaptation, right? Yeah. But the, the fact that we start off with, I mean, he's a, a criminal at the beginning of this movie. He's like a, a very bad person, you know? Yeah. And where we end up with the, you know, I feel sympathy for a, a young child who is forced into a, a gender role that's not their own, you know? Yeah. Like, that yeah, it's yeah. a horrible abuse that he suffered. And, you yeah, know, yeah, no, this, go I, ahead. I don't think he's not likable. I just think, like, you know, it's a, it's a, the character is 
is tough and he does some pretty shitty things and you know like yeah like the reveal later on about how he was mistreated and mistreated quite gravely and and it uh, yeah i mean i like if you believe the cia character in the film that his father wasn't his father it's um well and yeah. at this point we have to believe chuck barris do we believe yeah. chuck barris that his father wasn't his father and he found that out through some other methodology so I, yeah. I, I guess I'll dive into it now, which is I take the stance that this was a man who was uh, through an extreme series of traumas just barely hanging on to reality and was also a very creative, perceptive, sensitive person because that's, it yeah. develops from abusive situations, but it also is what it takes to be an artist, right? Regardless of where it comes from. So it's really understandable that he would have these proclivities and he was probably really high strung to begin with. And then when this dude found cocaine in the seventies, just yeah. never stopped doing it. Yeah. And then we end up in a place where he probably hasn't slept for weeks and he's trying to sort out his own psyche against the backdrop of the, the national anthem at the end of the day. And that's where the story that we see comes from originates from him standing naked, right? In the depths of a, you know, a, an insane binge. And this movie kind of like adaptation where there's the, part of the central conflict is Kaufman in adaptation realizing that there's something missing from this story. And how do we figure out what the actual real deal is? And his decision there is to go real Hollywood with it here. And his decision here in Confessions of a Dangerous Mind is to really leave it at the edges. So in the last few scenes, well, basically we only ever see Julia Roberts' nose, right? But in the last scenes, when we do get to see her in full face, her nose is like Rudolph red, right? Yeah. And then in the very last scene that we see Rockwell as Chuck, he does just a real quick nostril you know, and lets it go. And this is a man who's so in control of his physicality. I, I don't imagine that's a mistake. You know, it's, it's a purposeful choice. So, I, you know, I think I'm reading that Kaufman kind of is, is telling us like, no, this dude was fucking out of his mind yeah. on way too many drugs. But that's not the point of the story. That's not actually the interesting part of it. We've seen the biopic where the artist dives into drug-induced depravity. That's yeah. not the, the thing about this. The thing about this is the way his sensitivities and expressions intersect with American popular consciousness in a way that only the CIA can express. You know what I mean? Like we're the country of conspiracy theory. That's all we do. Yeah, it was, it, I mean, it was strong. And I, I think Clooney did an amazing job. I think Kaufman, it, yeah, it does. It feels Kaufman, like, you know, like, uh, the way that the the story writes yeah like you're saying like it it, it he's uh, he's written in the like the serial killer ish cia stuff but then it kind of really it blurs into other bits of the story and like um he's back at home and penny comes home and he's holding a gun yeah <laughs> and like, a lot of fun like uh but it's just that all gets hidden 
no one sees it, but it's all behind. You know, I, I like I like that that camera move again as well. Like, you know, seeing it from behind him, and you're seeing her conversation with him, and it's all fine. And he's like, "I need to hide the gun." Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's no, it's great. It's it's a lot of. I think the fun and games through the second act are actually like really really fun. So yeah. I mean, even the no, think, kind of sequence leading up to his hiatus in East Germany. That's full of really great filmmaking hijinks, you know? I think you're right. I think the bit that slowed down was before that. And then I realized, like, I caught myself in East Germany going, oh, is this film long? But I think it was because there was a scene before or some, there's a bit, like, perhaps the relationship parts that slowed down somewhere in the middle. But also, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And after thinking that, the whole play, the whole movie is insane. Like, you know, so it um, pulls me straight back in. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm with it the whole way for sure. It, cool. Watching Clooney's stoic performance yeah. made me wonder why he's never done a Western. Yeah, he did really well at that kind of, um, you know, Joe American. No, what is it? It's the, the it's like the John Wayne kind of like the, the the strong silent type sure. that knows, knows everything but doesn't say anything like you know that like every now and then he'll say something and he reveals that he knows absolutely everything about Chuck and he'll be like I know you know I know he which hand also you reveals that he 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 is aware he doesn't know and that's why he dies right because he thinks maybe Chuck is the thing and you know there's maybe more implications there about how women are actually running the world and it's a bunch of dumb men thinking they understand what's going on when they absolutely do not. I, I, I liked the that whole bit at the end with Julia in the hotel room because it like that character uh, Rockwell's character Chuck has been like dealing wheeling and dealing his whole life and he has been like taking taking potential losses and turning them into wins like every corner like you know every corner he turns so it's cool that at the end he he kind of reads the room and he's like oh, okay i know where this is going and yeah yeah like and then he he plays it out to get it like said out loud he's like uh, if i pretend to die What's he gonna do? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's the one-upsmanship and like the yeah. the calling your bluff and the like. I don't think you're gonna call my bluffness of it. I, I'm not expressing this very well, but there's something really uniquely American in like the showmanship and the the grandiosity of like just being willing to put your balls out on the table and go. No, I don't have my balls out on the table. You're wrong. It's the craziest thing. And, you know, like I said, Chuck Barris understands it. I think Charlie Kaufman really understands it. I, I don't know whether through, like, adept artistry or just kind of happenstance of time, it resonated really loudly with me right now in just sort of the way that, like, Oh, America is so self-important and every one of these idiots running around intimidating people at the polls or fill in the yeah. blank of outrageous behavior in the name of America or yeah. 
whatever, you know, I, I don't even want to unpack all of that, but like, yeah. and maybe yeah, I'm projecting, yeah. but I, I do think that there's a real strong statement. Actually, it's the woman, at the point when I have this thought in the movie is the point when Sam Rockwell's at the party and the beautiful naked woman swims up to him and is just like, hey, you're a fucking shitty asshole who's going to ruin this thing. Stop doing that. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, it's, I totally hear you. Like that, that kind of culture of like, like pushing the America brand, but everyone's got their own idea of what the America brand is. And if, if someone doesn't agree with their idea of America, then they are wrong. Like, so it's like the whole sending people to the polls to keep track like that that feels like the actual true america is about freedom to to vote and freedom of expression but they're like no you can you have the freedom to vote for trump and you have the freedom to express how awesome eagles on fire are (laughs) i mean have you ever seen an eagle on fire pretty fucking awesome like if it's not a monster truck I don't want to know about it, but um, no, it's just, yeah. Anyway, it, yeah, I get what you're saying with that. Like it, it, that's what this feels like. Yeah. People telling you their story and everyone's, everyone's got their idea of what needs to happen and they're ruining the world while they're doing it. So all these CIA people going around and killing people and they think they're winning, but technically Russia's Germany and Russia are playing the same game and no one's sure. that's definitely a big part of the point that i'm trying to make and i I apologize for not having this landed at all but there's there's something that i'm trying to say about the media that i see reflected in this movie and the way that we like storytelling and narrative because it's not just that people are doing their own thing believing that it's right there are instances of like this guy, I think he's an example of it in the in the tradition of like P.T. Barnum or Thomas Edison or fucking Donald Trump, where it's like, no, they're not even doing the thing they think is right. They're just saying it. They're just yeah. shouting. And people are listening for some reason. Yeah. And that's what this guy can do. That's what Chuck Barris did. And that's what I'm seeing drawn out that you know maybe like i said i'm probably just projecting because i'm a crazy man who's way too stressed out about the state of the world in 2020 in 2020 jesus yeah all right some some pivotal 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 elections showing up shortly (laughs) yeah let's cut it there before we start talking too much politics this is a movie show all right yeah no, uh, sorry, man. It's me. I, you know, I can't help myself. No, I got um just two more movie points I want to make, which is, yeah. uh, as you mentioned, the the fun and games in that last showdown with Julia Roberts, with yeah. the switching the plate and but him just turning the thing and switching the cube. Yeah, fun. Love it. Yeah, and and then the last thing, just to kind of, I don't know if I'm supporting my point. But when we get to actual Chuck Barris in this movie, he doesn't have any words. Like the the actual human being Chuck Barris, not Sam Rockwell. The very last frames of this movie are him sitting down. Yeah. 
I, I like it, man. I, I like the call to question. I really appreciate being asked to consider what you have just been told. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's strong. And I, I, I like, I like your, your cocaine analysis of it, but like I leave room, I leave room for, cause the world was a crazy place then it's still a crazy place now, but like, you know, well, I think that's one more thing I wanted to point out is that the, the way, and I'm, I'm a nobody who knows nothing, but I do think there is truth to him being a CIA asset. Whether he went and murdered a lot of people, who knows? But the interplay between the state and media is pretty well understood at this point, and it was definitely happening at that point. So, you know, even, I, like I said, I think this dude had a lot of trauma and a lot of creativity and a lot of experiences and a lot of fucking drugs. And when you put all that together, you end up with stories that are very interesting and not necessarily accurate. Yeah, but blurring between reality and fiction, and I don't know where the blur ends, you know, where the gray bits become black and white. I'm like, maybe he actually killed someone. <laughs> maybe, maybe, like, maybe not everyone. Maybe he wasn't, like, a hitman. But, like, there could oh, be some... Oh, that's a really interesting point. You know, there, there is, it's probably about a third of the way through. Is it... Uh, um, it's not Liza Minnelli. Who's the, the woman that's speaking in the cutting, sorry, in the talking heads. But she uh, had a little bit of a speech that's like, yeah. oh, I know things about him that you don't want to know. Yeah, they're upsetting and you do not want to know these things about him. And I'm like, I'm wondering if she's the penny of the stories or, you know, like, of something yeah, like interesting. Like, I, I, I saw that and I was like, oh, what if she's the penny and she knows a few more things than even the book, because I'm guessing these interviews are post-book, and she's still like, oh, I'm not telling you things. <laughs> it's like, holy shit, that's good, yeah. Um, anyway, it's, a, it's an interesting thing, it made me think, it made me think about it multiple times after watching it. Uh, I, I think the actors did an amazing job, uh, really, like, just kept me in, kept me, kept me, like, rooting for everyone, which a lot of these characters are quite, we you know like intense and yeah you know like you still yeah. you're still scared to see George Clooney die <laughs> you're still you're still like rooting for Chuck at the end obviously because he's had a real tough time but you know he's also yeah, technically even, like, bef even before you find out what he's done you start rooting for him yeah, that's, you do. that's you real masterstroke yeah and like yeah he's because he's kind of like I say like a wheeler dealer like you know he's kind of like life's kind of a bit messy and he kind of somehow wiggles the mess into his favor and it's 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 that kind of pull yourself up by the bootstraps kind of the old ethos like you just feel like he he could have failed a hundred times but he kind of rolled with the punches and somehow pulled pulled victory from the jaws of defeat like every time you know like a, yeah so you're kind of rooting for him because you're like yeah you know like your, your screenplay got, your pilot got cancelled, but you kind of kept rolling with this, or, you know, like, you, yeah, anyway, like. Well, and in that respect, it is, again, very American in that he just keeps failing upwards. It, you know, it's not, nothing he did is good. There's nothing that we should be celebrating, you know, but, but we're rooting do. for him anyway, and 
I really liked it a lot too. Everybody should watch it. Um, can thank you, Lations. I don't know how what to say. Yeah, no, it was a it was a good film. They did well. I think George Clooney showed himself to be able to do. I mean, like, I've seen a few of his films. Uh, they they can get quite like like I don't know wide. Like they 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 pull in a lot and they slow down. But I, I enjoyed that. I think he had a a lot of amazing um, like shots and ideas come across very clearly. Uh, and like you say, like I, I, I found myself, you know, rooting for people I wouldn't normally because they, the masterstroke of kind of the acting and the directing that kind of. I'll say this off. about the directing, um, which, which is that here in my living room, it, I was able to appreciate it. I could see at 70 feet in a theater, this being, an, I don't want to say nauseating, but like, Man, watching that much oversaturation for two hours <laughs> at okay. that size, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I, I could see why. Yeah. It's a crazy decision. It is a crazy decision. Because the, the, the inter real life interviews are, are like blown out. Like, the, the reds become pinks, the yeah, flesh tones. Like ultraviolet. Like, you, you're, you're like, oh, I think my TV's broken. Like, yeah. For <laughs> yeah. the first shot of the movie, like, literally the first frame is this purple and white face coming at you. Yeah. It's, yeah, I gave it a few frames before I was like, no, this isn't a bad transfer. It's supposed to look this way. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, yeah, yeah. anyways, I, I, it's a big choice. I, you know we're doing this thing we started with richard kelly because we like big choices and let's let's take something as far as we can go but i understand you know, that I, I, I tell you what i i like seeing what it was like uh I, i'm happier having seen what a film looks like if you differentiate reality from like eight different places with saturation and just see what that does it, i think it it, did, it certainly made it clear what was happening and where I was. But yeah, it's certainly distracting a couple times. <laughs> like, oh my God. Yeah, I think e even here, it mostly works. Uh, it, it, I'll just say it, it doesn't work in the talking heads. It, it's so garish that I just am like, I don't know what I'm looking at right now. But you understood that it was a separation. Like, like, like even subconsciously you just got that this wasn't the same thing as the movie you're watching which is quite a good useful tool because sometimes you get like a talking head and you're like is this person in the room next door or am i you know, like okay sometimes if they don't do it well you, you kind of lose track of wait who's this person what character is this and it's actually you know so having it is useful but it was distracting and it it did pull me out quite a few times yeah it's useful but it it's a little i mean the dude's way more successful than i've ever been but it's a it's a little film school in terms yeah. of reach yeah. so like christopher nolan did a very similar thing was it this 2000 mementos 2000 right where it's like the the time forward is that orange saturation 
the time backward is the blue saturation and then the hotel room is black and white you know mono and there we have kind of like natural cinema language exactly and this doesn't need to be natural i'm not arguing for naturalism i'm just saying it's a little too far of a push for me to want to embrace the whole i'm just interested to see it i'm interested to see it because i saw it and it failed and i'm like okay what that does um you know like yeah lots of films I, I, I can't remember what it is it's like blow or something and they do like mexico orange yeah new york blue and then yeah like it's that it's Tra- that kind of traffic is maybe the one traffic. that really goes far with that yeah, that'd be the one i'm thinking of yeah yeah we're like um, julia styles when she's ODing is like completely washed out in a, in a color tone like it's not a human skin tone at all at that point yeah. yeah oh good well um i yeah i it made me like we talked last week about um a wedding singer but it really made me love drew barrymore more and more <laughs> like he she does an amazing job of this character and like the introduction where she's like just just casually like sam rockwell's naked and she's just going <laughs> about it and then oh, and the reaping in for the beer <laughs> thing is like so sexy and so intimidating and just like what is happening yeah she does yeah. a great job it was a it was a cool character i i like the like the strength but also the like oh i kind of really like you like she's she wants chuck but she also like has her own thing as well so she's like well, maybe i don't or like maybe we just get married like <laughs> Yeah, I, I like it too. I, I like the natural progression of sort of like, no, this is who I am. Oh, but who I am has changed because of who you are. No, yeah. crazy how that works. No, it's cool. Oh, well, good work. Uh, Charlie, Chuck, and George. I think. <laughs>